Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Last week, we're looking at the persecution of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and their reactions to those persecutions. Now, one thing I want us to gain from last week's lesson concerning the persecution of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum is to first and foremost know, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned, وَلِلَّهِ الْعِزَّةُ وَلِرَسُولِهِ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ That honor, it belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ And the believers in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That despite these persecutions, these tortures, the harms which the companions of the Prophet went through, they were at no point whatsoever humiliated. There's an attempt to humiliate, and there's a reality of being a humiliated person. But a believer in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is never humiliated. Because Lillahi al-Izzah, all honor belongs to Allah, is messenger and the believers in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Secondly, as we titled it, the lecture last week, is the reactions. It's for us to look at the reactions of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ to that. And that reaction which I want us to look at from the examples which you gave last week, is that none of them, due to the persecution, the torture, the harms they face, none of them left their deen. That's one thing I want us to get, away, to get from last week's lesson. None of them ever left their deen. And if we're going to be tried in the same manner, what is it that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, what did they have that they never, never left their deen despite everything they went through? That which they had is halawatul iman, the sweetness of faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how is this halawatul iman manifested? So we may do the same thing in order for us to gain that sweetness of iman. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, that thalatha man kunna fihi, there are three attributes. If a person has ذاقبهن حلاوت الإيمان, if he has these three attributes, if he has these three attributes, he will taste the sweetness of iman. And it's these three attributes that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum had that through it they tasted the sweetness of iman. That no matter what they went through, the pains and the torture, the sweetness of iman overcame all of that. And what are these three attributes? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, أَنْ يَكُونَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَحَبُّ إِلَيْهِ مِمَّا سِوَاهُمَا That Allah and His Prophet are more beloved to the person than anything else. This is the first attribute. That the first thing, the most beloved thing to you should be Allah and His Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So we found the Sahaba, this was the most beloved thing to them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That they preferred it over family, over tribe, over clan. And that's why when they were being tortured, that love was manifested. So when they were torturing Bilal radiallahu his manifestation of the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his love of Tawheed, what was he saying to them? Ahadun, ahadun. Their love of the Prophet sallallahu wasallam was manifested. They preferred the Prophet sallallahu wasallam above all else. And even when they were being tortured, the manifestation of that love was there. So then when they were torturing Khabbab, radiallahu anhu and they asked him what do you say about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam he said he's the messenger of Allah and he's the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala arsalahu allahu bil huda wa deen al haqq Allah has sent him with guidance and the religion of truth to take us out of darkness into the light when they were torturing Khubayb radiallahu anhu 
And at this point, they were torturing, they were carving him alive. They were cutting the skin off while he was alive. They were carving him alive. And then they said to him, to show how the Sahaba radiallahu anhu loved the Prophet they said to him, Ala tuhib an yakum Muhammad fi makanika wa anta naj? Would you not love for Muhammad to be in your place right now and you're safe? He said, Wallahi, iswaba Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. La uhibbu an yushaka Muhammad bi shawka. I will not even love for the Prophet to be pricked by a thorn whilst I'm amongst my family in a state of security. So the first attribute that Allah and His Rasul The second attribute is to love a person, he does not love him except for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we find with the Prophet and the Sahaba, those who had the privilege of being protected by their tribe, by their family, they still love for their brother what they love for themselves. So they were freeing slaves from the Sahaba that were being tortured by the Mushrikeen. Those that could do nothing for they made dua for them or encourage them. This is the second attribute that makes a person taste the sweetness of Iman. That when you love somebody, you love him for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And third and lastly, to dislike or to hate, to go back to kufr. In the same way, a person will hate, to, will hate to take to be thrown into the hellfire. So with these three attributes, a person tastes the sweetness of Iman. And no matter what trials or tribulation a person is going through, you'll hold on to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is one thing I want us to take away from this. Another thing, that no matter what, they didn't leave their deen. And lastly, which is going to be the topic of today's class, is that we saw from these examples of the tortures of the Sahaba, that as-sira'u bayna al-haqqi wal-batil, sira'un da'im. That the battle between truth and falsehood is a consistent, continuous battle. The battle between Iman and Kufr is continuous. The battle between Tawheed and Shirk is continuous. The battle between Huda wa Dalal, guidance and misguidance, is something which is continuous. This may be the most important lesson we have to get from this, the persecution of Sahaba, because today's class is going to be built upon this. Because today we're going to be doing tafsir. Jayid, that the battle that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed as a universal law between haqq and batil is something that's always been there from when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam. And it's going to be the ila yawm al-qiyamah. Why is it important for us to acknowledge this? Because through its acknowledgement, we acknowledge if this is the sunnah of Allah, it's never going to change. And there's certain laws which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in his creation that will never change. And if you attempt to break those laws, what's going to happen to you? You break yourself, spiritually, mentally, psychologically, physically. If you attempt to go against those laws, not only do you break yourself, you destroy yourself. So to know and acknowledge that these are one of the laws, there's nothing we could do to change those laws. Now the moment you acknowledge that, you automatically acknowledge that there'll be people that will strive in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there'll be people on the opposite side that will do what? Strive to lead away from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are people that will strive to spend everything they have in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are people that will strive to do what? Spend everything they have to lead away from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are people that will strive to fight in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are people that will strive to fight what? In other than the path of Allah azza wa jal. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Those who believe, they fight in the path of Allah. 
That those who believe, they fight in the path of Allah, strive in the path of Allah. When the kafaru, that's what the disbelievers, they fight and struggle in the path of the false idols. So we want to accept and acknowledge the sunnah, that this sunnah is never going to change. What we see around us today is not going to affect us too much. That the struggle between truth and falsehood will always continue. And it's how now, how do we deal with this struggle? Bain al-haqti wal-batil. Because when we look at the example of the Sahaba, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, we saw those who were striving at the path of God, like Abu Bakr Siddiq, the Prophet and the Mushrikeen. Now the surah, which we're looking at today, was revealed in this context, the context of the struggle between truth and falsehood. Because the last surah we looked at was what? Surah At-Takweer. After the surah to Takweer, the next surah to be revealed was Surah Al-A'la, Sabbih isma rabbika Al-A'la. But like we said, we're not going to go through every single surah. So the surah we're going to go through today, that shows that contrasting parallel, that contrasting diversity between the two paths is Surah Al-Layl. Surah Al-Layl. So after Surah Al-A'la, the next surah to be revealed to the Prophet وسلم, was Surah Al-Layl. Now, when we begin the tafsir, we always begin with what? Before the tafsir of the eye. We always begin with what? The mudur, the subject or the topics that are contained in this surah. In Surah Al-Layl, there are three, or yes, there are three durus, or three mudu'at, three topics in Surah Al-Layl that it covers. The first topic is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He swears by his most apparent and greatest creations. These creations, that are proof of the qudra, the power, the might, the ability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ilmullah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wa hikmatihi, and the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He swears by these things. And like we studied in the previous lesson of Tafsir, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by something, when there's a qasam, there's also a what? Jawab al-qasam, the purpose of swearing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by all these things for the purpose of what? Your actions and your deeds and your effort, shatta. They're so diverse. So diverse and they're so parallel. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by all of these things. It's the first lesson to prove that your actions are diverse, they're parallel. Meaning, there's those who strive in the path of good, and there's those that will strive in the path of what? Evil. And this mudur, this particular topic, you find it in verse one to verse number four. So from verse one to verse number four, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by the night as it covers. وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا تَجَلَّى and Allah swears by the day as it appears. And what after that? وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَى And swears by the one who created the male and the female. إِنَّ السَّعِيَكُمْ لَشَتَّى Your efforts, your actions are so diverse. So this is the first mudur. This mudur or this topic is a proof that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given mankind what? Free will. That every single human being possesses what? Free will. And this free will, the fact that we possess it is also a proof of what? The life of this world is a what? It's a life of test. To choose between good and evil. You have that free will. The hayatul dunya is a life of what? Imtihan, of test. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that he Allah azza wa jal, khalaqal mawta. He created death 
والحيات. And life what? For what reason? ليبلوكم. To test you. أيكم أحسن عملا. So this is the first موضوع. The second موضوع is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives an example of these parallel paths that people choose. This contrasting path that people choose. He gave an example of the choices people make in terms of that which they possess, in terms of their wealth, to show the contrasting path. That they're those, what Allah Ta'ala has given them, they spend it and they're not miserly with it. They're generous with it. And they're those, they're miserly and they hold it back or spend it in order to the path of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. And this mudur, this topic, is covered from verse, what verse? From verse number 5 all the way to verse number 11. And the last mudur, or the last dars in this surah, the last topic of the surah, is that if you've noticed so far, each lesson is connected to the other. So the second lesson is connected to the what? The first. And the third lesson is also connected to the what? The first. As for the third lesson, the third lesson answers four questions. Four questions based on the previous two lessons. So the third lesson answers four questions. The first of those questions is that automatically come to one's mind. We said that life with this world is what? It's a test. It's a test. So the question that will come to one's mind, when you have a test, when you have an examination, what's the first thing you ask? Sorry? Barakallahu What's the topic? What do I need to revise for? Jayid, what do I need to revise for? So the question that will come to mind, that if the life of this world is a test, what do we need to prepare for this test? So we come from the Muflihun, those who are successful, Yawm Qiyamah. What do we need? What do we need to do? And the next ayah explains this, which is ayah number what? Number 12. And what's ayah number 12? Inna alayna lalhuda. Upon us is huda. What is alhuda, ya Habib? We've done this before in the previous class. Okay, in the previous class we said alhuda. When we did tafsir, surah al-fatiha. The huda yati bi ma'nayan. Huda comes with two different meanings, and it's important for all of us to understand these two meanings of Huda. And we emphasize upon this a lot when we're doing the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha. Because it's by understanding the meaning of Huda, you understand its meaning according to the what? The context. So what is the meaning of Huda? By understanding the two meanings, you understand its meaning here in this context. So what is the meaning of Al-Huda? And whoever gets this right, the brother always had, always had a present from Lahu Ja'iza. Who's going to get this? Ya Luqman. We spent time on this. Al-Huda comes with two meanings. The first meaning, Al-Huda bima'na al-bayan wa dalala. With the meaning of making something clear and explaining something or leading. Jayid, making it clear. The second meaning of Huda is guidance. That somebody becomes guided through the truth. Jayid, as for the first meaning of huda, which means just to explain or make something clear to somebody, it doesn't mean they're guided. The proof in the Quran is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concerning Thamud. As for Thamud, we gave them huda. Does that mean they were guided? No, it means we made it clear to them the path. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says in Surah Al Insan, 
Inna hadaynahu sabila. We've guided mankind, meaning we've shown him the two paths. Imma shakira wa imma kafura. The path of thankfulness, gratefulness, and the path of ungratefulness. Or the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wa hadaynahu najdain. We've given mankind or shown him the two paths. So huda could mean to show you or make it clear to you. The second meaning of huda, as we mentioned, is to be guided in reality to the truth. And this meaning of huda comes in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this one is only in the hand of who? Allah azza wa jal. Not even in the hands of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's Allah ta'ala said to the Prophet sallam. That, innaka la tahdi. You cannot give huda man ahbab to who you love. To who you love. So this type of huda is only in the hand of who? Hands of Allah Azza wa Jal. So therefore, there's no contradiction between Allah Ta'ala saying to the Prophet, you cannot guide who you love, and the saying of Allah, wa innaka la tahdi. That verily you, Muhammad, you give huda. Ila sirat mustaqim. Ya Habib, why is there no contradiction here? Between Allah Ta'ala saying to the Prophet, you do not guide whoever you love. And in another ayah, Allah Ta'ala saying, verily, wa innaka. Two forms of assurity. Wa inna, wa lama tawkid, wa inna ka. Verily, verily, you, Muhammad, you guide. Is there a contradiction here? Why? Barakallah feek. Because the meaning of this ayah, that verily you guide me, you show the right, right, straight path. As for the second one, means guidance. And that's in the hands of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, back to Al Huda. So therefore, Luqman, when we did Surah Al-Fatiha, when you pray Allah to Allah Azza wa Jal every day, and you say, اِهْدِينَ السِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ Oh Allah, give me huda to the straight path. Which type of huda are you asking for here? Guidance. You agree? No. Barakallah feek. If you say guidance, you're wrong. If you say proof and evidences and show me, you're wrong. You're asking for both types at once. Huda ad-dalalatu wa tawfiq. Because towards the end of the ayah, we say, غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ Not the path of those your anger is upon. And who are these? Al-Yahud. Those who know, they see the proof of evidence, but they do not follow. And that's why the ulama, they say, مَنْ فَسَدَ مِنْ عُلَمَائِنَا فَفِيهِ شَبَهُ مِنَ الْيَهُودِ Whoever goes astray from our scholars, he has similarity to the Jews. Because they know, but they don't act upon it. Jayid, and we say, well, dalin, or those who are gone astray. Who are those who are gone astray? Those who do, but did not do based on what? On knowledge. And these are al Nasara, the Christians. Well, and that's why the ulama say, man fasada mid ubadina, those who have gone astray from those who worship Allah much. You find some people they dedicate to the worship of Allah, but they become corrupt. Fafihi shabahun min al Nasara is similar to the Christians, because it's not doing based on knowledge. So when you say to Allah Azza wa Jal, mustaqim, you're asking for the huda of guidance and the huda of what? Showing you the path. Showing you the path. To show the importance of knowledge and acting according to knowledge. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers the first question. Wa inna huda. Upon us, if you want to know what you need for that test, huda is the guidance. The second question, after what has preceded from the first and the second lesson, comes... The answer comes in ayah number 13. And that second question is that what will make us, because now we know there's going to be a hereafter, what will make us believe and trust in the fact and affirm our iman that there's a hereafter? 
give us that firm belief that we're going to be raised before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That which gives us the firm belief is in ayah number 13. That he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that created the life of this world in the first place. And everything in the dunya, hayatul dunya, belongs to him. We'll do what? We'll create the hereafter, bring you back to life. And the same way everything in the dunya and this life of this world belongs to him, who does the hereafter belong to? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. وَإِنَّ عَلَيْنَا لَلْآخِرَةِ وَالْأُولَىٰ To us or to me belongs the hereafter. In the same way, to me belongs the what? الْأُولَىٰ The life of this world. The life of this world belongs to me. And therefore the hereafter belongs to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why they say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, لَلْآخِرَةِ belongs to Allah azza wa jal, is malik of yawm ad-deen. It doesn't mean Allah Ta'ala is not the possessor of the dunya. He's possessor of dunya wal akhirah. But like we did in the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha, that Allah Ta'ala mentioned specifically in Surah Al-Fatiha, that what? Malik Yawm al-Deen. He is the possessor of the Day of Judgment. Why? Test of revision. Why? Now, Barakalafiq. On that day, because in this dunya, in this dunya, Rasulullah Ta'ala said, وَإِنَّ لَنَا فَلِيَتُ رَمْبِ بِلَنْ سُمِدَ آخِرَةِ And he said, مَالِكِ يَوْمِ الدِّينِ Why? Because in this dunya, you possess cars, you possess wealth, you possess house, you possess many things. In reality, it's not really yours, it belongs to Allah Azza wa Jal. But يَوْمَ قِيَامَةِ Everybody will be raised, naked, barefooted, possess nothing. And that's why in the ayah, Allah Ta'ala said, يَوْمَ هُمْ بَارِزُونَ When they presented before Allah Azza wa Jal, Allah asked, to who belongs the kingdom of this day? Nobody will answer. Allah Ta'ala will ask, muluk? Where are the kings of the earth? Jababira? Where are the proud and haughty ones? Nobody will answer. So Malik Wa To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala belongs the akhirah in the same way to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala belongs the dunya, the life of this world. The third question which is answered in Dars al-Thalith, al-Thalith, in the third mudu' in the third topic is, that springs to mind. If there is going to be a hereafter, what will be the punishment of those who disbelieved in their Lord and did not respond to the call of their Lord? And this is covered in ayah number 14 to, to what? 16. That, naran that I warn you of a painful torment, a painful fire, that nobody will enter it except for the most wretched. And then the fourth and last question would be, what would be the reward of those who believed in their Lord and responded to his call? And that would be ayah number 17 to 21. Until the end of the surah. So topic number one is the swearing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by these creation to show your actions are diverse. And topic number two is what, ya Habib? The different path that people take in terms of that which they possess. And this is covered in what ayah? 5 to 11. فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى 
So now, bi-idhnillah ta'ala, we'll begin with the tafsir of this surah, surah al-layl. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا تَجَلَّى وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَى وَالْأُنْثَى Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes three oaths here. Allah ta'ala begins by swearing by the, day, by the night as it covers, and the day as it appears. وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَى وَالْأُنْثَى Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَى وَالْأُنْثَى And by the one, this has two tafsir. By the one who created male and female, or by the creation of male and female. It has two meanings. Either Allah ta'ala swam by the one, ma al-masdariya huna, by the creation of the male and the female, or by the one, meaning Allah Azza wa Jal, we created the male and the female. So here we have three forms of swearing. Where is the jawab al-qasam, the answer to that swearing, or the purpose of swearing? Inna sa'iyakum lashatta. That verily your actions are so diverse and so parallel. This is the answer here. But this shows the balagha of the Quran. What's balagha in English? Hmm? Eloquence of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Allah ta'ala in the jawab, the purpose of swearing, said your actions are so parallel. And if we look at the qasam before that, what were all the qasam by? All the swearing by? Two opposite things. That in the same way that the night and the day are contrast of one another, your actions are contrast of one another. Then after Allah Ta'ala says about what? The male and the female, that in the same way, these are two opposites of one another. Your actions are so parallel, just like that. SubhanAllah. This is the balagh of the Quran. Allah Ta'ala could just go by layl and not by nahar. But Allah Ta'ala saw by two opposite things to show that the same way these two things they contrast in lashatta. Your actions and your deeds are contrast. So Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala said, After this, Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala gives example of these contrasting, contrasting actions. The first thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions is what after this? The first contrast is for the one who gives what taqa, and he fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and believes in al-husna. Allah ta'ala, he mentioned we soon and seen here, that in reality is going to happen, will make his affairs what? Yusra easy for him. Anybody wants their affairs to be easy, follow these things. A'ta, give. Even the non-Muslims that do charity, they say the happiest of people are the ones that give to others. It gives you happiness or contentment in your heart. The happiest you could ever be is when you give and you do for others. If you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make your affairs easy, have taqwa of Allah Azza wa Jal because Allah Ta'ala has promised وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ اللَّهِ يَجْعَلْ لَهُمْ مَخْرَجًا whoever fears Allah Allah make it way out from all their problems وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ اللَّهِ يَجْعَلْ مِنْ أَمْرِهِ يُسْرَى whoever fears Allah or taqwa of Allah Azza wa Jal Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala will make all his affairs easy so any hardship you go through all you have to do is what? have taqwa so what is a taqwa? 
it's important to define what does it mean to have taqwa so that Allah Ta'ala will make our affairs easy by having it. What is a taqwa? A taqwa, as Tarq ibn Habib said, and ta'ma bita'atillah. Ala nurin min Allah, tarju thwabin Allah. Taqwa is to act in obedience of Allah, upon a light from Allah. What is the light from Allah? Knowledge. Tarju thwabin Allah. Hoping for a reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa anta turuk Allah. For you to leave off the disobedience of Allah. Ala nurin min Allah. Upon a light from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which is knowledge. Takhsha iqab Allah. Fearing the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or taqwa, as Ibn Uthameen rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, is اتخاذ الوقaya, is to take a shield بينaka وبينa عقاب الله between you and the punisher of Allah. Have a shield. And how is that shield? بفعل أوامره by doing everything Allah has ordered you to do to the best of your ability. واجتناب نواهيه and to stay away from the prohibitions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is taqwa, piety. And that's why taqwa is not fair. It really is piety. That whatever fears Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make his affairs easy. And the other path, for the one who is stingy and miserly and he thinks he's self-sufficient, and he disbelieves in the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah ta'ala said he will make his affairs what? Usra. Now the shaitan may come to some of the Muslims and say, subhanallah, when we look at some of the non-Muslims or the wicked people upon the face of the earth, their affairs are so easy. They're so easy in terms of wealth, in terms of technology, in terms of advancement, in terms of their country. Look at them. Look at how they're living. This shaitan might come to some of the Muslims from this door. But that which you're speaking about, that you consider to be success, you consider to be ease, is that which you want? You see with your eyes, that which is apparent. And Allah Ta'ala said, Do not be of those people who see that which is apparent. That which is apparent to you is that you think, you think the affairs are easy. And one of the principles of happiness, even according to the non-Muslims, subhanAllah, and this is from our deen. If you really want to be happy, take this principle. Happiness, the beginning of happiness, it starts with the inside-out approach, not the outside-in approach. If you truly want to be happy, be happy inwards, and then you'll be happy outwards. People that go for the outside-in approach, meaning materialistic things, dunya, drugs, alcohol, in the end, where do they become unhappy? In their hearts. If you look at some European countries where, when it comes to government welfare, like Sweden, Top, number one, you don't even have to work. You live the life of a king. Here, Ikea is a massive thing. You go to Ikea, you're the don. Your whole house is made of Ikea. You want people are selling things in Qatar living. Ikea furniture, Ikea bed. In Sweden, if you're unemployed, they give you vouchers to go and buy Ikea as much as you want. For unemployed people, poor people, vouchers for Ikea. This is the state of the public welfare system in Sweden. But yet, Sweden has the highest rate of suicide in the world. So the outside-in approach doesn't work. And that's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, That mudra. In the heart, there's a In the body, there's a mudra, a flesh. When it is pure and correct, the whole body is pure and correct. And when it's corrupt, the whole body is corrupt. And that is what? The heart. So happiness starts in the heart. So these kuffar, or non-Muslims, or wicked people, you think they're happy. Inside their heart, they are ripped apart. And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. That whatever he wills 
Wherever Allah Ta'ala wishes to lead astray, it makes his heart tight and constricted. As though he's climbing into the skies. Because the higher you get into the atmosphere, the less oxygen you have. Allah Ta'ala makes their heart tight. So the first thing, don't judge by what you see. Secondly, so the shaitan will not come to you. Even that which you see, it could be a what? From the plans of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to lead them further astray. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala said, وَأُمْلِي لَهُمْ That I plan for them, I give them rope, I give them rope. Before that Allah Ta'ala said, سَنَسْتَدْرِجُهُمْ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ will come to places, to them from places they didn't even think of in terms of punishment. As for now, I give them rope. I give them rope. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّ Allah Ta'ala yumli, He gives them so much rope to lead them astray. To lead them astray. That when Allah Ta'ala seizes them, they will never, ever, ever escape. Just like the munafiqoon. فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٍ فَزَادَهُمُ اللَّهُ مَرَضًا In their heart is a disease. Allah opens the floodgates of diseases for them. All the people Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about in Surah Al-An'am that فَلَمَّا نَسُوا مَا ذُكِّرُوا بِهِ When they became heedless of the reminders of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what happened to them? فَتَحْنَا لَهُمْ أَبْوَابَ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ We gave them everything. Subhanallah, due to heedlessness, Allah ta'ala said فَتَحْنَا لَهُمْ أَبْوَابَ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ We opened the doors of everything to them. حَتَّى إِذَا فَرِحُوا بِمَا أُوتُوا To the point they became so happy with everything they got. We seize them all of a sudden. So that which you see Allah Ta'ala gives them is to lead them further astray. And that's why when Allah Ta'ala sends a prophet, the people are usually tested before that time. Either there's a, there's a farming, some kind of disaster. So Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala says, We did not ever send a messenger except the people before that were seized or what? بِالضَّرَّاءِ وَالْبَأْسَاءِ By hardship and adversity. لَعَلَّهُمْ يَضَّرَّعُونَ In order for them to become humble. Because when you don't have, you become humble. You go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the second thing. The last thing is the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. To show all their affairs are difficult is something we mentioned before. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, الدُّنْيَا سِجْنُ الْمُؤْمِنِ This dunya is the sijn of the believer. وَجَنَّةُ الْكَافِرِينَ and is the paradise of the kuffar. So no matter what they enjoy in this dunya, this is it for them. This is it, over. This is their jannah. And this jannah which is theirs, compared to the akhirah, wal-akhirah, khayr wa abqa, the akhirah is better and everlasting. That's why they say you can't even imagine jannah, because you cannot imagine something that doesn't stop, that doesn't end. You cannot even imagine it. That you could go and speak to a brother for 500 years, 600 years, 1,000 years, if you want to, because there's no rush, you're not going anywhere. You cannot imagine meat of bird as you wish, that you just wish it like this, it comes to you like that. No talabat, just like that. No extra request, just by your thoughts, it comes to you like that. Subhanallah. So, this is the Jannah. This is the Jannah. And Ibn Uthaymi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned something that we mentioned before in previous classes, but we mention again about this dunya being the sijin of the believer. That Ibn Hajar, who is Ibn Hajar? Asqalani, who is he? What sharh or what famous book did he make? 
Fathul Bari, the explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari, one of the greatest scholars, was from the Qudat of Egypt, from the scholars or the judges of Egypt. So the scholars were honored, just like they are in this time we're in today. They had a special carriage, a special horse that carried them. They had a certain appearance about them. And it was said it's a Yahud. People say it was a Christian. It was a Yahud that saw Ibn Hajar as Qalani. And when he saw him, and this Yahud was a person that sold a Semnu Zuyut, that sold ghee. What's ghee in English? You know ghee? Butter, or the fat. He sold fat and oils. And you can imagine the appearance of some that, that sells ghee. Even when you cook with ghee, before you go to the masses, something, you have to have a shower because of the strong smell of ghee. But this person was a seller of ghee and oil. So you can imagine his appearance. So when he saw Ibn Hajar as Qalani, he said to him, your prophet has said that this dunya is the prison of the believer and the jinn of the kuffar. How do you explain this? I'm in this situation and you're in this situation. When he looked at the appearance of Ibn Hajar as Qalani, Ibn Hajjah said to him, compared to what is waiting for me in the akhir, if I die upon Iman, this dunya, no matter what I have, is a, is a prison. And despite your state, despite your state right now, compared to the punishment that's waiting for you in the hereafter, whatever hardship you're going through in this dunya, this is your jannah. At this point, they said the Yahudi, he said, Ashhadu an la ilaha Allah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. So don't ever think that their affairs are easy. Their affairs are difficult. And that's why we mentioned from the very beginning that Ashhadu nas ibtila, the people that will be tested the most are the what? Anbiya. I mean, the higher Iman is, the closer you are to them, the higher the test will be. But because of your high Iman, you could cope with the test. Some of these non-Muslims for the stupidest, foolish, their football team might lose a match. They're going to commit suicide. His wife leaves him, he commits suicide. He fails, he commits suicide. But the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the test and the trials and the tribulations they go through, but because of that iman, they don't do such a thing. Because of iman. That you'll be tested. Don't think they're happy. Don't think for one moment they're happy. They're the most depressed of people. And that's why they need that Miller time, the Budweiser time. To bring that seriously, those there's something they have to do. The gym, whatever it is. Because Oh, you believe, remember Allah much. Why? Your heart will only gain contentment and happiness with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing else. So the first cure to this issue, which even many Muslims are suffering from depression, is the inside out approach. Remember Allah Ta'ala much. This depression, which many people are suffering from, especially in the time we're living in now, things are so everything is so materialistic. Success, happiness is just based on materialism. People are getting high of iPhones and Samsung from one fix to the other. The iPhone X or the iPhone XS. You know, these fixes, temporary happiness, but not long-lasting happiness. Band-aid happiness. So there we think. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about these other people that it feels to be hard. That وَمَا يُغْنِ عَنْهُ مَالُهُ إِذَا And his wealth will never benefit when he returns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. After this, the ayah goes into وَإِنَّ عَلَيْنَا لَلْآخِرَ وَالْأُولَى We go to the tafsir of this ayah, to the end of the surah, next week, بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى Subhanakullah, alhamdulillah, shalom, alhamdulillah, 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 alham